Welcome to In Social Work, the podcast series of the University of Buffalo School of Social Work at www.insocialwork.org. We're glad you could join us today. The purpose of In Social Work is to engage practitioners and researchers in lifelong learning and to promote research to practice and practice to research. We educate, we connect, we care. We're In Social Work. Hi from Buffalo and happy Earth Day. Here in Western New York, our lives are intertwined with two great lakes, a powerful river, rolling hills to our south, and a never boring climate. Since 1970, Earth Day has been celebrated as a deliberate marker for global support and stewardship for environmental protection. I'm Peter Sabota. In this episode, our guest, Dr. Lisa Reyes-Mason, takes the social work mantra of person and environment to describe her work in global environmental change. Why should social workers care? Well, we have for a long time, as we've understood that global climate change and the impact of human activity on it is inextricably intertwined with issues of social and economic justice for all of us, with the vast burden often suffered by folks who lack social and economic power. Dr. Reyes-Mason discusses her research highlighting the impact that social work research, education, and practice has on shaping our response to a challenge that is and will continue to confront each of us living on planet Earth. Dr. Lisa Reyes-Mason is director of the Ph.D. program and assistant professor at the University of Tennessee College of Social Work. She was interviewed in November of 2018 by her own Catherine McLean Meter, clinical assistant professor for field education here at the UB School of Social Work. Hello, my name is Katie McLean Meter, and I'm a clinical assistant professor at the UB School of Social Work. I'm thrilled to be talking with Dr. Lisa Reyes-Mason, assistant professor and PhD program director at the University of Tennessee College of Social Work. Lisa, thank you so much for talking with me today. Katie, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I look forward to it. I want to start our conversation by asking you to talk a bit about global environmental change and how this is connected to social work. So what is global environmental change? Absolutely. Global environmental change, as the the phrase suggests, is a really big topic. Examples of it are things like climate change, air pollution, deforestation, other kinds of land cover change caused by urbanization. So what these are, are these wide-scale transformations of our natural environment, but they've been transformed, at least in part, to what we humans have done. They've been changed due to human activity. These global environmental changes are happening all over the world. They're connected. They're not just in isolated spots around the world. And they're often closely connected to social and economic and political context, and also inequalities, which is why global environmental change is such an important issue for social work to be getting involved with. Yeah, can you say a little bit more about why social workers should be concerned about this? Yeah, definitely. These problems are so connected to questions of social justice we think about water, for example, access to water. Here where I live in Knoxville, Tennessee, right now anyway, access to water is not something that your average person every day probably has to wake up and think about. There's for the most part here in Knoxville, water running through your tap, pretty affordable. Not something you think about when you wake up and need to brush your teeth or take a shower or something like that. In other parts of the U.S., as we know, Flint, Michigan, for example, and many other places around the world, water is an example of something that is very much 
much a social justice issue. And maybe I can talk a little bit about that from my experience in the Philippines. When I was a PhD student and did my dissertation fieldwork in the Philippines, I was looking at seasonal water insecurity. And in the city where I worked, Baguio City up in the mountains, a big urbanized area in northern Philippines, there the local utility was called the Baguio Water District. People there called it Bawadi for short, and they kind of joking with people, they would say it stood for Baguio Walang Danom, which translates to Baguio has no water. And you would talk to officials at the Baguio Water District, they would say, oh no, about 80% of people in Baguio are connected to our water system. About 80% of folks have water running to their home. When you would actually get on the ground, do the field work, talk with people, in my case, collect data, what we found was that actually it was just about 50% in the neighborhood where we were working that had access to water. And even among that 50%, the water wasn't regular. You might have water piped into your home, maybe at best three days a week, and even on those days only for four hours a day. So access to water is something that in some parts of the world you might take for granted, and in many other parts of the world, it's unpredictable. You can experience insecurity with something as basic as water. And then who has access to more or less water is very much often tied to how much money you have. Or in a situation where there's somebody who can wait at home for the water or not. We were often talking with families where if it was a married family, for example, both the husband and wife were out working, trying to get money, put food on the table, having to disrupt their schedule to stay home and wait for this water to come. By which I mean you had to wait and like fill up your drums and tanks with water because you had to store it because you didn't know how much you were going to have. Now, the Philippines example is far away. I know that our listeners today are in many places around the world. So some people might be in a context where this is happening for them too. And here in the U.S., though, again, it's also problems like water or access to food or coping with an extreme heat wave in the summer are all manifestations of global environmental change that affect people unequally and that social workers then have an important role to play in helping people cope with and adapt to those changes. Absolutely. Thanks so much for that example. And I'll just add that your research really makes a compelling case for social workers advocating and involving themselves in this work and the history and the tradition of social workers being involved in environmental justice work. So thanks. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is something that in our profession, it's growing. In social work, one of the projects that my team worked on was we did this review, this systematic scoping review, looking at what has social work research anyway been doing on global environmental change Mm -hmm. on these issues. And kind of the story that we tell in the article that we wrote from this very big project was how social work has for about 40, 50 years actually been having calls for action for social workers to work on environmental issues. If we look in the U.S. at the history of the modern environmental movement, when did that begin? The 60s, the 70s, Rachel Carson and Silent Spring, the Clean Water Act, Clean Air Act, those efforts from 40 years ago. Social work was back then also some people, these early pioneers in social work, were talking about this and writing about it. It's not actually until the last 30 years and even really, to be honest, 
what our study found was really more so in the last five to 10 years that social work researchers anyway are really starting to take a harder, more rigorous, more empirical look at these problems and how can social work be involved beyond what was important groundwork of, hey, we need to be looking at this. We need to be talking about environmental justice too. I feel like that is part of our, part of where we've come. And now it's what's the next step of, we know we're supposed to be at this table. We know the people we work with are experiencing these environmental problems and it's affecting their physical health, their mental health, their financial well-being. What can we do now? What should we be doing? And how do we do that in partnership with other folks as well? Absolutely. Yeah. So one thing I found really interesting in that study was the large number of studies in social work focused on hurricanes and typhoons and then very few on issues like water and land use. So what else did you learn that you found really important from that study? Absolutely. The point you bring up about the focus on hurricanes and typhoons is really interesting. I think what that speaks to, because what we did find was we found in our review that in the past 30 years, there have been 112 studies that met our criteria for inclusion in our scoping review. So they had to be empirical studies and other criteria that are in the paper. So of those 112, about a third, I think, had a focus on hurricanes and typhoons. Part of where that comes from is that social work does have a rich, robust history of working on disasters. And so a lot of the research that we included in the review on hurricanes are studies that have been done post-Katrina for example. Some were starting to come out about post-Hurricane Sandy, where social workers have been involved in trauma response, in setting up programs to help to study interventions that help study how do we help children cope with the aftermath of disaster? How do we address resilience for people after disaster? That's important work. Social work needs to keep doing that. You brought up how there's been less work on these other topics. That's one of our conclusions recommendations in the paper is for social work research to diversify what it's focusing on, diversify the topics. There's still so little done overall, and there's so many environmental problems that we could be looking at that we can broaden that. You almost can't go wrong by choosing an environmental issue to focus on because there's so much out there that needs to be done. I think part of that will happen as we grow more scholars who are especially interested in prevention. So a lot of this hurricane and typhoon research, like I said, has been after the fact. And so how do we do a better job of helping people prepare for what we know is coming with climate change, for example? How do we work and use research to help inform policy, for example, that that puts better what we call adaptation policies in place for people related to climate change or other environmental changes. So the opportunities are wide for people to work on environmental issues from a social work lens. Absolutely. So you brought up climate change, and let's turn to that specifically. You know, it's all over the news, some good, some bad, right? And so in your opinion, how urgent is this problem? I see this as very urgent. And I mean, climate change is already here. And whether we talk about it with people as climate change or as the way it's manifested in people's lives, which is more like severe weather, weather extremes, that's actually how I write about it in a lot of my work. I look at weather extremes, even winter extremes. People don't always realize that severity of winter storms, that the pattern of that can be connected to climate change patterns. I also look at precipitation, so heavy rainfall events and urban flooding. These are all the ways that climate change, what seems like this faraway phenomenon, maybe another country, maybe it's just on the coast in the United States 
or maybe it's islands in the Pacific, you know, that you hear about. It's not just there. It's touching so many people's lives, even on a personal level. I'm originally from California, and we have seen over several years and the increase in wildfires related to droughts in California. And I have family in an area where wildfire devastation has happened. And that suddenly makes it feel, well, this is my job and what I give my thinking to. This is also where a big part of my heart is because I can see how it's affecting people in my own life. So climate change isn't just something anymore that's the grandkids' problem or even our children's problem. I see this very much as something that is our problem here and now to deal with and to work on. Honestly, before it's too late, because it is possible that we will reach a point where the consequences for communities, the social and economic and political consequences for people are so big. And we in social work know that who is going to be able to cope best with those? Well, it's about resources. Who has more resources? For example, to be specific, when there's a heat wave that comes, how hard is it for you or me or somebody in another community For each of us, it's going to be a different story of how hard is it to turn up the air conditioning and pay for that bill. For whom is it going to be a choice of paying for that utility bill versus not having the money to pay for that utility bill to stay cool and safe in the summer and keep their housing and not become homeless? Actually, here in Knoxville, over several years, we've seen this trend between the challenge of home weatherization, so energy efficiency with your home, and paying utility bills and homelessness. Those are all connected. And so this also speaks, I think, to the point about how you don't necessarily have to be a quote-unquote if we even want to call it a subfield now, an environmental social worker to work on things. I just brought up homelessness. I brought up financial capability, which is a growing area in social work also, community organizing, poverty, and the environment together. So climate change, yes, it's here, it's now, and we have a big task ahead of us. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about your current work in this area? Yes. So my work uh, related to climate change is very much, like I said, I frame it, write about it, talk about it very much in terms of weather extremes. And I do it in a way that's very multidisciplinary. I've been on faculty here at the University of Tennessee for five years now. And almost from day one, in fact, literally probably from day one, I headed down a multidisciplinary track with this work. It's part of what brought me to the University of Tennessee. We have an institute for a secure and sustainable environment here. And that was one of the things that appealed to me when I was a new PhD graduate looking for my first faculty job five years ago. And I met who have become my closest collaborators to this day at New Faculty Orientation colleague, John Hathaway, who's in civil and environmental engineering, and my other colleague, Kelsey Ellis, who's a climatologist housed in geography. We literally met at New Faculty Orientation. But what I like to say about this story is we met, but you can't really just say that we met just by chance, because it was a mindset for me of looking for collaborators, looking to do this work in a multidisciplinary way. So when Kelsey and I ended up in the lunch line together and she was telling the story of how she had just eloped to Gatlinburg here in the Smokies, now, of course, that caught my attention as an interesting story. But once we got past the funny parts of the story, we talked about our research areas. For me, it was a light bulb of, aha, a potential collaborator. We have a shared interest in climate adaptation and where could we go from here? And at that same lunch, we met our colleague, John. So I'm telling all the story, I think, about without getting into the details yet, 
forget about what we've done because for me that's just such an important part of in my opinion, how social work should be going about this issue and many issues that we work on, but this one in particular. This is an issue that you just need. The hard sciences, the social sciences, the folks who understand communities, all of us at the table together to work on these issues. So maybe just to give a couple examples of what we've done, one of the things we've been working on was we looked at the urban heat island in Knoxville, really to see, is there an urban heat island here? Would we find patterns, even in this kind of medium-sized, relatively green-covered city, some patterns of an urban heat island where you have hotter temperatures or higher heat index in parts of a city that are more built up with buildings and have less green space compared to other parts of a city. Urban heat islands often map closely onto socioeconomic conditions as well. So you often find lower-income neighborhoods for for example, in a city like Knoxville, you would expect to find that there's more of an urban heat island effect there if there's less green space, for example. So we worked as a team. We built these sensors that we put out in neighborhoods around Knoxville to measure temperature and humidity data over the course of a year or two. And then we also did a qualitative research, so in-depth interviews with people in four different neighborhoods in Knoxville. And the neighborhoods were chosen for their variability in social and economic conditions. And we compared, we tried to look at what are we finding? How do people's experiences differ across the four neighborhoods? One of the communities where we did the work was in a public housing community in South Knoxville. And one of the experiences I remember there with one of the interviews was talking with a resident of this public housing community. It's a community known for a lot of crime and a lot of violence. And as we were doing the interview, the person I was talking with, I just clearly remember him saying, thank you so much for talking with us about this. Nobody's ever asked us about the environment like this before. And our lives, we are more than just poverty and gangs and drugs. This is a part of our life too. And that really struck me that this is the bigger picture of somebody's life. And this is an important part of it as well. Well, that sort of leads me to my question. In these multidisciplinary teams, can you talk a little bit about the lens or perspective that you feel like you as a social worker contribute? Yes, definitely. That's a great question. I think the number one thing that I find myself bringing to the table over and over again is the focus on social justice. I think sometimes to social workers, maybe that seems obvious. Maybe that's not what people think, that everybody thinks about it. But I continually bring that up with teams, with grant proposals, with projects. I think I also, what social work and what I bring to these teams is a focus on hearing and purposefully, intentionally seeking out community representation, community members' voice. My background is definitely more as a macro social worker. And so making sure that communities are represented and bringing voices to the table is an important thing that I think I bring. One little example of that, thinking of this very first project that Kelsey, John, and I did together is initially as we were trying to get the lay of the land and decide where to do study neighborhoods, which study neighborhoods to work with, John and Kelsey were leaning towards three neighborhoods in Knoxville from the hard science perspective. They thought that would give us sufficient data to measure temperature and humidity and such. And I remember stressing with our team, okay, I mean, I don't know either. We're new here, but let's find out. Let's get some input from other people. So I made a point of reaching out to a new contact at the Office of 
neighborhoods, for example, a local nonprofit who I had built a relationship with in just my first few months. And the story I heard right away was, hey, you have to get a neighborhood from South Knoxville too. Mm. If you don't, the legitimacy of your study will be questioned. You'll get pushback. Why didn't you include South Knoxville? So for me, it was an obvious, okay, yes, absolutely. We will listen to you and your expertise. We need to include a representation from South Knoxville. So even sometimes just bringing that willingness to almost like pause and slow down and say, hey, let's make space in designing this project to get input is an important thing that I think I've been able to bring. And maybe, Katie, if I can give just one more example that stuck with me. So a different engineering colleague, we've been working together on a project related to green infrastructure in Knoxville. So the use of things like rain gardens and rain barrels to help people deal with flooding. We'd been working on that project together. And again, I had been kind of bringing up this language of social justice and social vulnerability. Well, she called me a month or two later and said, hey, I've got this other idea for a project. It's on sustainable transportation. And I just can't get this language of social vulnerability out of my head ever since we started working together. How can we build that in here? And for me, that's always stuck with me because that's a win to influence another discipline so that they're also thinking about social vulnerability and social justice. Even if you can't necessarily write social justice all the time in that way in a proposal to a particular funder, but you can still talk about the issues and build that into your study design. So those are some of the things I feel like social work brings. Absolutely. Those are great examples. And I love hearing your colleagues in geography and engineering, often disciplines we don't sort of naturally pair with social work, but how this is an issue where we have to have really all hands on deck and how we all have these lenses and expertise to effectively address the problem, but only if we do it collaboratively and together. So I think those are great examples of all playing that role in addressing the problem. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I've been here for five years now. As I look at kind of the next chapter of my career as a social work scholar, I just can't imagine doing it any other way than in continuing to do and just to get even better at it. So many problems we're trying to look at through team science. And it's hard work. I think it takes a certain amount of humility from each discipline, a real commitment to communication, communicating with each other, a real willingness I found. I guess when I said humility, what I mean is to even be willing to say, I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. Can you help me understand it? Because I'm not a civil and environmental engineer, but in order to partner well on this project, I need to understand your lingo, just like you need to understand mine and what my terms mean to me. Those are some of the things that I think are essential for this kind of work. So you're five years in and I'm wondering sort of what's next for you. Yeah, I think one area of my work that I'm starting to do more around is this idea of green infrastructure. And again, it's a partnership, not surprising now that it's with engineering and geography. But one thing about green infrastructure, especially with rain gardens in particular, is with the way rain gardens can help with something like urban flooding, is that a rain garden, a small rain garden, is something that you might build on your own property and you design it in a way that it's fed by water from your 
downspout, the, that water coming off your roof, through your downspout, into your rain garden. It helps, gives you this beautiful rain garden on your property, number one, with kind of native plants, plants that work for your local ecosystem there. So you have more beautiful green space. And we know that all the research now coming out around green space and mental health, which social workers, I think, would be interested in. But another part of it is that you're capturing that rainfall before it makes its way as runoff onto the pavement and then goes into the stormwater system and then further exacerbates problems related to urban flooding. So it has both environmental impacts as well as social benefit as well. So these green infrastructure rain garden programs are often much more common in wealthier neighborhoods. So I'm interested in access you know, a social equity dimensions of something like a green infrastructure rain garden program. So that's one small example of something that I'll be working on. And kind of to tie this back almost to that first study that we were talking about, one of the conclusions from that study was out of those 112 studies that we included that are examples of empirical social work research on global environmental change, the majority are still in kind of the problem description phase. So they're calling attention to environmental disparities for certain groups or social and economic disparities related to environmental problems, which is an important role for social work. There will, for a long time, with a lot of problems that social workers work on, there will be a need to always be that voice around social justice, around saying, hey, this group of people are being unequally, unfairly impacted. At the same time, while we don't need to abandon that line of work, there's very little right now by social work scholars working either intentionally or not intentionally calling it global environmental change, working on intervention research. And so for me, looking ahead with my career, I would like to also move much more towards my work being focused on intervention research. I too have done a lot of the problem description, the study in the Philippines, for example, about water insecurity, very much about problem description, what's causing this problem, but it didn't make that leap yet. Not I can make recommendations about what we should do about it, but that project didn't go as far as, okay, now let's test my ideas and partner with the Baguio Water District to see how we can fix this, right? So that's, for me, one of the next steps that I hope to do more of and that I hope more social work researchers on global environmental change issues will do. And part of that involves, I think, continuing to do this community-connected, community-engaged work that partners with practitioners to develop and study these interventions together. So for me, the rain gardens is one example of that. And then I want to give one other area that I've been thinking of trying to move into in which I think social work can also move much more into. So far, I've talked a lot about adaptation, climate adaptation. Well, there's two big buckets of climate change related work. We talk about adaptation, helping people cope with and adapt to what's already here or already coming. And then there's mitigation, which is reducing the problem, preventing the problem, lowering the greenhouse gas emissions in the first place. And that's an area that social work has done very little on. And I think there is space there to do much more around how do we contribute to efforts to mitigate greenhouse gas emissions, because that is pressing, whether that's community organizing, whether that's working with political science and public policy to review policies related to this. There's so much potential for this at the local and state levels. I think that's where we can put more attention to mitigation policy and then increasing access to clean energy. Clean energy is also something that becomes an issue connected to resources and economics. How much does it cost to go off the grid, to have a Prius? 
to have solar panels on your roof. So there becomes this equity issue in terms of access to clean energy as well that I think is something social work could be addressing. So those are two areas where I can see myself giving more of my time and energy moving forward. Well, we will certainly look forward to seeing some of your work in the future. If you could steer sort of our profession around this issue, in what direction does social work need to go when it comes to climate and environmental justice? This is a big question and one a lot of people are working on and trying to figure out. Let me think of it in terms of maybe research and education and practice, kind of the three buckets of that work. But of course, I'd like to make a call for all of us to think about how can we integrate better, work together across those three. When I think about social work research on climate change and other global environmental changes, the themes for me really are about our strengths, about it being community-engaged work, about it being multidisciplinary, and about it being intervention-focused. I think I would call on any social work researcher who's about to launch a new study related to some issue of environmental change to go into it asking themselves, am I just describing the problem again? Am I just documenting the problem? If so, is that really what's needed here? And if it is, because the answer might be that it is, how can I go further than that? How can I at least have a trajectory with this community, with this problem that's going to go beyond just the problem description phase? That's something I'm trying to ask of my own self with my work. And so that would be one thing that I would put out there for social work scholars to think about. On the education front, kind of educating our future social workers, I think there's a lot of traction here, which is really exciting because CSWE, two years ago now, introduced environmental justice in two of its competencies. And so schools are still figuring this out, though. What does that mean? How do we infuse this in the curriculum? And I think the CSWE's Environmental Justice Commission has been working on that, on trying to create resources for schools to use. And I want to give a shout out to one freely available resource that if folks don't know about it, they should go and download. It's the sustainability workbook that the International Federation of Social Workers, IFSW, has put out. They're edited by Meredith Powers and Michaela Wrinkle, and they have case studies and teaching case studies from around the world that are freely accessible for folks to use of how to address sustainability issues in the classroom. So those are wonderful workbooks for people to access. And then I guess turning to that third bucket of practice, and I guess I should add a fourth one of policy if we have time. There's so much for us social workers to do (laughs) that when I think about practice, I think this is a question that we are still figuring out as well. Here at the University of Tennessee, every new group of master students who come to us. We have orientation in the fall and the faculty all come and we introduce ourselves very briefly and I give my spiel about climate change. Inevitably, after every new orientation, some students come up to me and say, I had no idea that I could do this, that I could practice social work in this way. What does this look like? What is the career path for me? What will I do? What kinds of jobs do I look for? And to be honest, I personally find it's still a hard question to answer. Because you don't see job ads written, we're looking for an environmental social worker. So I think that in terms of the practice world, that if the environmental issues are infused more in the curriculum, that any social work practitioner would be thinking about these as part of the person and environment framework that clients' lives are situated within. That might mean that you're working with a client.
client who is recovering from disaster-related trauma. And so you need to be keeping up with the latest scholarship on how do we tailor our practice to these clients in particular. There is an emerging field, I'm not too familiar with this one, but I've started to read about it, about grief related to climate change itself. People experiencing that grief or stress or anxiety about the state of the world. Also in terms of practice, another place where this connects, it's kind of an example I mentioned earlier, is in terms of the financial well-being of our clients, whether that's connected to utility bills or whether it's connected to insurance, blood insurance fire insurance, other kinds of hazard insurance, and whether you're set up properly for that, or if, for example, you have a serious loss of a home, and if you have access to resources to help you navigate that process when it happens, that's an area that I think more social work practitioners could probably be trained in or be thinking about how these issues connect to their practice. And then I did mention that fourth bucket of policy. When I think about your question about the next steps of my career, this is also also something I think a lot about is public impact. How do I ensure that my work doesn't just sit in a journal, that it is in the hands of practitioners, that it does get in the hands and is, it tries to influence public discourse or policymakers? And so I think these are questions that apply to so many social work issues, and they also especially apply to this work that is growing number of faculty, of doctoral students around the country, and growing number of folks in practice are saying, we want to work on this, and we want to be deliberate about making change around it. Any other suggestions in terms of how to sort of set our course? How do we get to these goals as social workers? Any suggestions for us? I think that to set the course, maybe I'll go back to two kind of quotes that inspire me to answer that question. One of them is a Jewish teaching, actually, and it comes from this idea of healing the world. I see this in my first-year master's students, that social workers, we are so passionate about these problems we care about, be they the environment or homelessness or poverty or the opioid epidemic. Sometimes we can feel overwhelmed and burnt out and like our actions aren't making a difference. So I think that with the environmental crisis that we face, I think that this teaching about we are not necessarily kind of in our lifetime obligated to finish this work of healing the world or perfecting the world, but neither are we free to desist from it. So that to say that we need to keep moving forward, even if it feels small, even if there's obstacles, even if it's in our corner of the world and we're not on a global UN stage or something like that, that to keep moving forward is something that we need to think about. And then the other one that I find inspiration from is this saying of, if you want to go fast, then go alone. But if you want to go far, then go together. I think this is work that we need to be doing together, both in terms of within social work, thinking creatively about maybe my work on heat waves here in Knoxville. I need to connect with a mental health expert to talk about how do we think about mental health interventions for people during a heat wave, or maybe that going together means, again, me in engineering and geography, or maybe going together means research and education and practice and policy. So I think those are my two bigger picture thoughts about how do we get there. Keep moving forward and keep moving forward together. My last question, are you hopeful? Wow, that is a great question. I am hopeful. I am hopeful because 
Our profession is a profession of hope. It is a profession of change. I know we don't always get the recognition. My point being that I am hopeful because while the problems are many, social workers get things done and social work research can get things done too, especially if we focus on research that is community connected, community engaged, connected to the practice world, and is purposefully testing interventions and then translating those interventions into practice and policy. So yes, I am hopeful. And it's going to take a lot of hard work and dedication, but I am hopeful. Good. I'm glad. Lisa, it has been a true pleasure to speak with you. I want to thank you for your leadership and inspiration in addressing environmental justice from a social work perspective. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Well, Katie, thank you. It's really been a pleasure and I've enjoyed our conversation. You've been listening to Dr. Lisa Reyes-Mason discuss social work and global environmental change on In Social Work. Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, Professor and Dean of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We look forward to your continued support of the series. For more information about who we are as a school, our history, our online and on-the-ground degree in continuing education programs, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. And while you're there, check out our Technology and Social Work Resource Center. You'll find it under the Community Resources menu.